Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. And I'm excited to have Andrew Shafi, who's an associate at Playfair Venture Capital. Playfair is a generalist VC fund with a contrarian approach to pre-seed technology investing. Uh, based in London, Playfair invests across UK and Europe. A big thanks to Jeevan Summer for the introduction. Uh, welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So, Chef, um, how how did you you know get your start in the in the uh, in this crazy world of venture capital? Yeah, so it definitely wasn't my destiny. Um, I started out um, as a poker player in the first part of my career. So, I the moment I graduated university. Um, I wanted to give it a shot and um, yeah, I'd been, I'd been playing through university actually to kind of fund my studies um, instead of getting a job and I tried a couple of internships in banks and didn't like them a lot and so when I graduated decided to go full time. I did that for a couple of years um, in casinos in a few different cities around the world. Um, COVID ended up closing all the casinos in the world and casinos are like the least COVID secure environment you could possibly imagine with no airflow and chips and cards and stuff. So. Um, I had to um, give that up. Um, I then joined a tech startup, did sales for a couple of years, just joined as a really early employee and, and helped scale a team there. Um, and that was a fintech, and we were actually selling and, and working with some venture capital funds at the time. So I learned what it is, um, what it was there, and I learned about startups there. And then, yeah, got really lucky, applied through LinkedIn, and, and yeah, got very fortunate to get a job. So, so, so interesting, when, when you talked about playing poker, um... Uh, do, do you see any similarities between you know playing pokers and and startups and VC? Lots, um, yes, and I think it's, it's no surprise to me that kind of the biggest tech podcast um, is like kind of poker themed as well, the All In podcast. And it's no surprise that some of the best investors, or the, the you know the, the most well known investors, also love poker um, because I've, I've, there's lots of similarities there um, with the relationship to startups. I think like. One thing you have to get really comfortable when you're playing poker professionally is failure. And mm. so, you know, the best poker player in the world will lose that buy-in for any given tournament around 80% of the time. Um, so, you know, you have to get really comfortable that losing is normal and failure is normal. And I think the same is true in startups. You know, the whole reason startups win is they can afford to fail. They can try out lots of different things. Um, and so, yeah, just being really, really comfortable when things don't work is something I learned in poker that I can, you know, apply to the startups we, we look at. And then, like, also the venture, there's quite a lot of similarities there too. Um, you know, like any given investment I make, um, you can do your best, but there's so much luck and skill involved in one investment, you know, that, like there's, there's just a real overlap between the two. And so being really comfortable with, you know, I make the right decision, I base it on data um and then after that you know there's, there's an element of luck which is you know things that you can't measure or control so being really comfortable with that as well um it's something that you have to learn to i see and i was just wondering are there any uh you know poker website which allows you to play uh especially you know what happened during covid or uh or do you think you know they, they you still on the lookout for a website which will allow you to play online poker there's, there's loads of good online poker website so poker stars party poker there's quite a lot um the problem at the moment well there's a couple of problems so 
Um, when you want to play, it, it's kind of the opposite of venture, actually. And when you want to play poker, you want to play against the least, you want to find the least skilled people, uh, where eventually you want to find the most skilled people. Um, online, you against like a global talent pool of very good, very studied players. Uh, whereas if I go to the casino in London on a Friday night, the people, you know, they're there for a good time. They're not there necessarily to win. So online is harder, um, but also online, there's now software, which is kind of like sold poker. And so, you know, um, there's, a, there's quite a lot of security concerns online as well, whether or not you're actually playing against real people. So I prefer playing in casinos, um, you know, looking people in the eye. Um, you know, that, that's a lot more fun for me. Yeah, it, it, super interesting. And um, especially with, you know, you've been part of uh, Playfair. What does Playfair look for in, in the early founding team? I, I know there's been, you, you've done a great job in content, but I was just wondering, you know, what's, uh, what, what is the one thing that you look for in early founding teams? Yeah. So we invest right at the earliest stages. So we're a specialized pre-seed fund. And what, what, what we mean by that is um, we, we want to be the first institutional investor into early stage companies across Europe um, and Israel. Uh, and so, you know, often those companies haven't done a lot yet. You know, the company might have been alive for two, three months, five months, six months. You know, they don't necessarily have lots to show. So, yeah, we do look at the founding teams quite closely um, in our assessment of businesses. And... Um, I guess you can split it up into a, a couple of um, different buckets. I think the first thing I would say is that exceptional people do exceptional things. And so, um, you know, previous demonstration of like exceptional ability in some sense, one of our founders, um, George Aerocloud, he used to be a professional race car driver in like the F4, um, which, you know, and he's like a champion race car driver. And that is, you know, a real trait for a founder, um, you know, it shows great determination, but I think probably more formally, we structure it into a couple of buckets. So um, we have like the quantitative sign, which I, I would say is like what your founder edge is. And so that can be like a technical edge. You know, are you using better technology, new technology versus the market you're ta tackling? It could be a market knowledge edge. So, you know, does the founding team understand a market um, better than, um, you know, the incumbents or, or have they spotted something that people haven't? Or it could be an execution edge, which is, you know, does this founding team have proof that they execute better, faster, quicker, iterate, iterate better than, than anybody else in the industry? And so we typically look for a blend of those, but those would be what we would look for in edges. And then there's also at Playfair, we have like something that's a little less tangible and a little more subjective, but, you know, there's like, will this person run through walls to get the job done? You know, yeah. being a founder is not easy, and we need to see that there's some passion, some 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 demonstrable um, desire to just get things done. Um, but then there's a couple of things around. You know, are they thinking big enough? You know, we need to be, um, and the way the VT model works, we need companies to go all the way and to go really big. Um, you know, we we don't want founders building you know uh, medium-sized businesses. We need them to have the ambition to go large. And then probably one of the most important things is, uh, or the final thing is. Um, you know, do we want to work with this person for the next five years? Um, you know, do we want to work for this person for the next five years? Because that's what we're going to do. And so we have to have some subjective, like, desire to actually want to support and work really closely with a founder for over a five-year time horizon. So, super interesting. And, and does it really matter which P school they have gone to and if they have worked like a, were they like a McKinsey consultant or an investment banker? Uh, does it matter in your perspective? No, not in the assessment part. I do think, uh, unfortunately, it is easier for many funds to do the filtering piece through yeah. 
So, you know, like uh, most funds will do LinkedIn outreach. Um, you know, part of the LinkedIn outreach searches might be, did you work at Goldman Sachs? Did you work yeah. in a high growth tech startup? You know, it makes filtering easier, but fundamentally the answer is no. Um, you know, when we're speaking to a founder and assessing whether or not um, they would be a, a, a Playfair founder, um, you know, previous logos on the CV mean nothing to us. Um, one of the businesses that I've invested in um, is a company called Spotted Zebra, which puts skills as the fundamental unit of work and not um, like um, previous experience or, or titles. Actually, it's kind of a skill someone has that are most important. Got it. And, uh, and what's, what's the average uh, check size for, for Playfair? Uh, I assume that uh, you invest into six to eight starters, but you 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 look at a lot of startups over the year, but what, what's the average check size for you? Yeah, we we invest in six to eight companies per year, which is quite low for a pre-seed fund, and we probably get um, a few thousand um, yeah. uh, pitches a year through the website. So yeah, it's, it's quite a lot. Um, we write checks between £100,000 and £1.5 million. Um, we've done um, small, as small as that, as large as that as well. The average is somewhere in the middle. Okay. Okay. And uh, and is it widely distributed through uh, through uh, UK and, and the rest of Europe, or is it mostly uh, what you've seen in the last couple of years been mostly UK? Yeah. So we've just launched our third fund, um, which is a fifty million pound um, fund three. Um, fund two was about seventy percent UK, um, and then thirty percent was across Israel and the rest of Europe. Um, fund three so far has been, I think, we've made two investments in Germany, one in Switzerland and one in the UK. And so we're like increasingly um, European focused. Okay. And, and what's, the, what's the average uh, entry entry price for you? Yeah. Um, you know, we can play and we have invested really early. So we're talking like an angel style round, you know, a, a couple of a million um, pre-money valuation. And we've also invested in, you know, serial founders that have... Um, you know, done it before, um, command a much higher valuation, something around 15, 15, 16 million and everything in between. I think like normal for us is, is a valuation of like five to six million pounds roughly, but, um, yeah, we have some flexibility. Got it. And, um, and yeah, I just wanted to, you know, uh, slightly approach on, on reserves and following checks. Do you think, uh, uh, for, for a pre-seed fund like yours, does it make sense to have a reserve and do you have reserve allocation for startups that you're double on? Yes. Um, so for a pre, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we, we, we reserve roughly half the fund, um, for follow on investments into companies we've already invested in. Um, and so, yeah. And then, um, to date or across fund two, at least we've supported every single one of the companies we've invested in at the next round, um, with at least pro rata. And so, and it's really important to us to, of course, like protect our position in companies, also support founders um, because the journey is long. Um, and basically, we we have a way of looking at our portfolio of companies. Um, we have some kind of like ranking or, or um, um, methodology to to assess their performance, and then we allocate capital based on their performance. And of course, the idea is, you know, we want to. In theory, we have an informational advantage um, versus the market. And we want to concentrate capital into the best performing company. But and uh, and what do you think is is the biggest misalignment between founders and VC, especially during these times where you know uh, it's become a lot more difficult for founders to raise funding? Uh, but where do you see the you know biggest misalignment coming? Yeah, 
Um, it's, a, it's a good question. There are a couple, um, and I think it kind of changes. So there's, of course, the, the ones in the investment process, so before a VC is invested, and then there are some like post-VC investment. Um, so maybe in the first bucket, um, I think what founders sometimes do, which is a big no-no, um, is telling VC funds the, the other VC funds that are looking at the company, um, it's a huge mistake uh, because the, the ecosystem is so small. And, um, you know, basically, if, if a founder tells me, um, oh, yeah, we're speaking to X fund and Y fund, you know, the first thing that we will do is, is pick up the phone and go and speak to X fund and Y fund. And then as a founder, you lose control um, over the narrative position. So founders should definitely be looking to hold back that information for as long as possible um, until they actually have to share the names of funds and looking at them. So that's a slightly misaligned incentive. And then I think post-investment, I mean, the obvious one is kind of like exit opportunities. Um, and so, you know, what it, what is and often is a very good result for a founder um, often isn't a very good result for a, for a VC fund. So, you know, like a something like, a, let's say a 30 million pound exit um, would change a founder's life. You know, a founder could take half of that off the table. Uh, it would be huge life-changing money. Um, for us as a fund, it wouldn't be a great result, in all honesty. We need to 10x that or to 20x that to, 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 to fit our model. And so often there's these discussions around um, founders having very, very good offers that would, would change their life and retire them. Uh, and VC is trying to push them to carry on building and, you know, try and bump that valuation, double it, triple it, quadruple it. And so I think that's the most clear one, actually, it goes to investment. But, and and do you do you make that decision at the time of investment where where you uh where you tell the founder that even if you're getting like a thirty million dollar exit, you need to keep moving forward and only then, you know, you'd want to invest? Uh or, or is it something which, you know, the narrative does uh, does change? Right. Yeah. It's not something we ask founders. Uh to be honest, you know, like I, I don't think founders would tell us the truth anyway. And it's so hypothetical that, you know, I just reckon uh, they would just say what 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 they want to hear. Um, I think when I mentioned at the start, which is, you know, one of our criteria is, is there a real passion for this yeah. either problem um, or is there a passion to go big? I think that's more what we're looking for, which is, you know, if you, if you set out to solve this problem in the world um, and you only solve 10% of it, are you the person that can say, that's okay because I'm making a lot of money? Or actually are you the person that says, well, I'm only 10% of the way there and I need to go uh, much bigger and for much longer and um, yeah really push this and so that's part of what we're assessing at the very um when, when we're assessing the founder got it and uh, i was just wondering you know what would be the big misalignment between vcs and lps uh between vcs and lps i i actually don't know about about that question i think um generally they are aligned i mean there's there's kind of like a deployment thing which is um you know vcs get um get the, the model basically encourages rapid deployment or at least did encourage rapid deployment and so you know the, the quicker you could deploy a fund the quicker you could raise your next funds which is hopefully larger and um yeah then you get more management fees and probably more carry on it as well um, I think that was very much the 2021 mindset where, you know, you would see fund cycles, like entire funds deployed across a year, 18 months, uh, and then the next fund raised. 
that was great for like a, a partner at a fund because they just get so much um, um, management fee. The question for the LP is, you know, over a year and a half, are you A, going to find, you know, 25 great companies over a year and a half versus four years? Um, and also, are you hedging against like time? And so, you know, 2021 would like peak really high valuation um, for all the funds that like solely deployed across 2021 valuation. Um, that probably wasn't, um, in hindsight, the, the, the best thing to do. Hmm. Got it. And, and do you think, you know, founders are, are now directly going to LPs to raise funding, uh, uh, to raise the rounds uh, instead of going to VCs? I think it's hard. I think not in, not traditional um, LPs. I think there are some other forms of financing that founders are looking towards, um, you know, and whether that's like maybe smaller family offices, um, if you count those LPs, I think definitely. Um, also, you know, revenue-based financing, you know, debt, there's, there's, there's many other methodologies to raise funding. And I think a lot of founders are um, thinking about going the non-VC route because, you know, it comes with its own set of um, challenges. Mm. Got it. And, and uh, uh, I was just wondering, you know, in what way can, can a VC help, you know, if, if, the, if the best of founders do not need a VC's help, um, it should um, should a VC leave them alone or should they, you know, still chime in and give them advice? Do you mean once they've invested or do you mean... Um... Yeah, yeah. once they've invested and, you know, if they know, uh, uh, you know, what they're doing, uh, what what if the founder, you know, does not need any your help uh, and is not, you know, taking your advice? Um, what, what... Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important for VCs to know when they are useful and when they aren't. Um, um, we definitely don't know everything. Um, we definitely don't know more about businesses than founders do. And so um, I think knowing when to lean in and knowing when to lean out is like one of the critical skills uh, and being really honest with yourself about your own skill set as a venture as a, as a venture investor. Um, I think one thing that all VCs should be really good at is um, fundraising and network. And so... You know, in, in my opinion, it's my job um, when I invest in a company to know who all the relevant other investors are in the ecosystem. Um, and then when the time goes out to fundraise again, to help prepare the deck, the narrative, the story, the data room, the material, and then introduce them to the 100 or 150 investors that I know and that I build my network around. And so if, if a VC can do nothing else, I think connecting a founder to what is quite a difficult venture ecosystem to penetrate i think that should be one of their most important jobs yeah absolutely i love, love this advice uh about about network and you know helping raise uh help, help, helping the founder raise money but um i was just wondering you know can can a startup build defensibility from from day one i mean we've got that one um it, <laughs> we, we 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 probably look but yeah I, I i don't think so i mean like we have we have some investment that definitely have technical defensibility, which is, you know, they're working on technical problems that nobody else in the world can solve. And they're at the cutting edge of technology. Um, you know, that's probably a quarter or a third of our portfolio. Most of our businesses in truth, and um, are building defensibility through processes, through people, and um, through brands, and um, through just executing better than, than new entrants could. Um, and I think that's increasingly true as AI takes off, um, as many companies now are being built, like the application layer of 
um, foundational AI models. I think, um, yeah, defensibility is definitely built over time. Um, I think the only exception to that day one is we sometimes see companies that do have access to a really unique data set. Um, and if they have proprietary access to that data set, that can be defensible from day one, but that's quite rare. Mm, okay, got it. And um, especially during, during these times, you know, uh, I mean, I'm the two, 2021 days are not going to come, but uh, what are the most important variables for, for the founders to focus on when they're looking to raise their, their rounds uh, in 2023? Yeah. Um, so I can speak to the pre-seed, um, like the really, really early round. Um, and I mean, it sounds simple, but like you have to make a beautiful deck. Like, you know, your deck is the way you communicate your business to the world. And it should look good. You know, you, you can pay, you know, someone um, on Upwork or get a designer friend to just make it look good. Um, invest and spend the long run deck. So I'd say that's really important. And then, you know, nailing the story. Um, you know, I, hey, we're, we're so early. There often isn't a lot to show about the business um, in terms of numbers, traction, revenue. Um, but having a really clear story, which is, you know, why I am the right person to build it, um, why this is important, and why now is the right time. Um, I think that story, um, and if that story can be compelling, it can get you a long way, um, especially at the pre mm, And you talk about traction, you know, what if they have a bit of attraction, do you think, should you show? Well, what's, what's your viewpoint on that? Uh, you you cut out slightly there, Rohit. Can you repeat that? Yeah, sorry. Also, uh, what I meant is, uh, what if uh, you know uh, the company has a bit of attraction? Uh, should they show it at the beginning of the slide, or should they, you know, you know keep it hidden really at the end? Uh, you know, what if they're a better storyteller than they have the attraction in the in in the startup? Yeah, I would definitely start with the story for sure, um, and I would keep the traction in the middle towards the end. Uh, what normally for us traction is is validation of commercial assumptions. So you know you're you're telling me that this is a problem, um, and you're telling me that you have a solution. The fact that you've got you know 15 buyers that are paying you some money for this um, mm. helps me believe that. And so you know that's how we view traction. We don't have any like hard numbers that we need to see to you know to invest. You know we're much more flexible than that. Um, but it helps. Um, it helps to add data to the story, and that, that should be the point of traction at the earliest stage. Got it. And uh, uh, you know, does signaling really make a difference uh, when you know a, a larger fund is investing at seed, uh, especially for founders? You know, uh, should they look for a for a seed partner? Yeah, I. I mean, we're a specialist pre-seed fund, so um, take this advice with you know a, a pinch of salt. Uh, I think it does. I think it really matters. Um, the reason I think that is because, um, well, I, I think it matters mainly for future rounds and mainly for future rounds from like tier one investors. And so I think it can be very attractive for an early stage founder to raise from, you know, um, one of the global multi-stage, very exciting, great brand name funds. Um, that, you know, do from um, typically Series A onward. They can be very, very exciting because, you know, you want some validation and you want the name and, it, you know, it's exciting. I think the problem is if you're not in the top 10% of those companies and they don't do the Series A, the Series B, it makes it harder to raise from other really good funds. 
Um, so, you know, you might still raise, but, you know, an, another tier one fund would say, you know, we only want to invest in the top decile. Um, you know, the, the, the fund that um, invested in the seed clearly doesn't think this company is in the top decile. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a poor signal to the market. And so it doesn't kill a company, of course not. You know, they can still raise from other funds, but in my opinion, unless it's like up and to the right and they raise every round from that fund, it definitely makes it harder to raise future. Mm. And I think the data actually shows that up. So I don't know if you saw the data that came out, um, I think it was this week, but funds or companies that raised from specialized seed funds um, had a higher conversion to Series A than funds that didn't. And so um, I think it was like 30% versus 20%. So yeah, it did make a difference. Okay, okay, got it. Super interesting. And um, like you, you know, Andrew, you've been uh, in this for a couple of years. You know, what what has changed um, for you as as your perspective as an investor? And, and where do you see you know the world of venture uh, changing the most? Yeah, I mean, I joined in like the peak um, the peak of twenty twenty one. It was the crypto craze. Everything was Web three. It was all um, everything was up and to the right and. Um, it was fun, but it uh, but it um it wasn't it wasn't right, and um yeah, I think it got a little bit heated. Um, you know, many companies were raising um even like I mean I, I talk about raising a pre-seed on a story. I think companies were raising Series A, Series B rounds on a story, um which probably wasn't wasn't right. Um, and so now like the market has definitely changed. Um, you know, all of our companies are getting asked about capital efficiency metrics. So, um, you know. Um, net burn, burn rate, net revenue retention. These, these have become really important for all of our companies. Um, and it's become almost the, the the number one criteria that future investors are looking out for, which is, you know, how much money did you take on? How, how did you spend it? And um, what did you get out of that? Whereas previously that was just, you know, it was just a growth um, mindset. And so, yeah, we've had to change a little bit, you know, we've had to, you know, um, advise our companies that, that we have to be really, really cautious. You know, we have to sharpen our pencils. Um, and be much more cautious with with growing responsibly. Um, and ultimately, I think it's probably better. Um, you know, it's probably a more healthy environment. Um, but it's much much harder to raise the founders, um, especially in the later stages. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And um, and, and since your since your time um, um, as an investor, what's been your biggest hit and your biggest miss, and, and does that impact your decision making uh, abilities? Um, so I made an investment. Um, about nine, about a year ago now, um, into a company I mentioned earlier called Spot right. Zebra. Um, this is probably my biggest hit so far. Um, they have gone on to raise, uh, well, and depending on when this goes out, they um, have been very, very, very successful. Um, they've got some news around future fundraising as well soon, um, uh, and a sufficient, significant valuation increase. And they were building a really capital-efficient business um, with a really, really attractive revenue model. And um, I think this is becoming in fashion and future investors are really excited by um, responsible growth, honestly. Um, and so that was definitely learning for me. Um, the biggest myth, I recently passed on a company that got backed by um, Cosler Ventures, which is probably like the number one venture capital fund um, in the world. Um, that really hurt. <laughs> um, uh, not because not because, not because because they invested in it um, as much as, the, the business was looking to do something really disruptive and um, it was looking to change the healthcare industry and I won't go into too much detail, but um, it was looking to completely change the healthcare industry. And I didn't necessarily believe that they could. Mm. Um, 
but actually the fact that you know probably the world's best fund um invested is probably the reason that most vcs should invest which is you know we should be going for moonshot ideas we should be going for things that make radical change and if they fail that's okay um but actually it's really important to go for things that are radical that push the boundaries that um are going to be really hard um and so yeah that's something that i've probably taken away and learned from that mm, interesting and uh, and when you you got your biggest hit does it uh give you the signal to keep investing in, into those sectors and those industries and the same type of uh deal again and again yeah i think so i think um like a, a, an easy skill for any investor is to pattern match i think it's really really natural you know right. what has worked for me in the past um you know what have i seen succeed um if i see this again i know this works um it's exciting me and so I, I'm having to be careful with, um, you know, making sure that that doesn't cloud my judgment because pattern matching isn't everything, but um, it definitely makes you know seeing seeing certain opportunities easier if you've seen the work before. Got mm, it. Super interesting. And um, uh, Shetha, I quickly want to do the the top three. What's a favorite business book? So I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Um, I'm going to say two. So one, like, I guess, official business book is Principles by Ray Dalio, or Ray Dalio. Um, yeah, I think you just, I he's obviously built one of the best companies uh, of our generation and just has some incredible business insights. I think it's a fun, and it's not really a business book, um, but Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Um, it's like his memoir around how he turned um, kitchens around, like failing restaurant businesses and how he fixed them. Um, it's it, one of the most, um, interesting read from one of the most interesting humans, um, which is definitely worth the read as well. We, we put that in the show notes. And you know, it's a good callback in mind when you started working at a uh, place like Venture Capital. What is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Yeah, I think I would have. I think it's what I'm doing now, and I wish I did it earlier, um, which is I'm realizing that the energy transition is like the biggest problem that the human race faces um and you know moving towards sustainable energy is the number one priority to save this planet and when we're talking about moonshot ideas or um things that really make a difference um that's what i want to be spending my time in and what i want to be looking at and so um, i'm starting to research a lot more around electrification um um different types of fuel um how to how, how to electrify the grid um I wish I'd done that earlier, um, because I think I would have found more opportunities earlier. Um, but yeah, that, that's something I would love to, love to deep dive on earlier. Got it. And uh, you know, what's your favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Can, can I say Zapier? Yes, Zapier. you're okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I love Zapier. It connects so many things. Uh, I think if you know how to use it, you can connect. Um, and think so many different tools and save yourself loads of time. And so, yeah, I'd say Zapier. So we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, and Chef, you talked about a female founder event and, you know, uh, what's the best way people can reach out to you and know more about the events and uh, how can they reach out to Playfair if they want to look for investments? Yeah. Um, so Playfair run a female founder office hours event for any female founders raising for a tech company at the early stage that are based in Europe. Um, and so... Uh, the whole purpose of this event is to uh, break down barriers 
to allow female founded companies um, more access to investors. Um, typically, um, um, companies meet with four, five investors across every edition. Um, and the whole point is mentoring and advice. Um, you can sign up to our website. We run the event twice a year. The next one will be in November. Um, and so, yeah, please do mint that in the show notes as well. Sure, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, sure, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much, Reddit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.